0: This morning we have the pleasure to hear God's word spoken from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death,
1: Have any of you ever had a terrible job? I mean, like, the worst, like the absolute worst. Um, I've had some pretty pretty terrible jobs in my life. Um, I, I've done all kinds of weird jobs and have all kinds of weird stories. Um, I'll save you uh, from my stories of working in a, a dry cleaners, handling, you know, other people's Uh, dirty laundry, uh, or the summer that I spent working in a funeral home, and we'll just move along from that one. Um, uh, Someday I'll share some stories uh, of when I worked as a used car salesman. Uh, That was quite an experience. Um, Definitely, definitely learned a lot. but if I, think, I think if I had to pick, like, my worst ever all-time job, uh, it would have been a short time, a, a real short-term yeah, job that I had when I was, like, 15 years old. Uh, there was a guy from my church, uh, and he said, hey, I've got a project I could sure use some help with if you want to make some extra money this summer, which as a 15-year-old kid, I said, sure, that sounds great, I could use some extra money. And uh, he said, yeah, so just, just uh, show up, but make sure you have long pants and s- uh, sleeves and bring some gloves. So just remember, we're in Texas in the summer, and so the first thought you have when somebody says, make sure you're wearing jeans and long sleeves, you're a little suspicious, okay? So bring in gloves, all right, here I come. Anyway, so I show up to this old junkie house, get the address, show up at this old junkie house, and it's like an old house that he's renovating. He's going to turn into like a rent house, okay? So, so he says, man, I'm, 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 uh, I'm really glad that you're here. And he hands me a dustpan, and a little one of those little hand brushes and a big trash can. And he says, okay, uh, I want you to go up into the attic, and I need you to get all the insulation out of there. I'm 15 and a little bit clueless, okay? So um, he says, it's, it's probably going to take you a couple of days, but guess what? I'm going to pay you by the hour. And I thought, well, that sounds terrific. And so he, he says, well, I'm going to leave, but I'll check on you like at the end of each day, okay? Um, so I don't know if any of you have ever been in the attic of a house in the summer in Texas. Uh, but I looked it up because I just had to know if it's 90 degrees inside a house or outside guess what the temperature is in an attic it's 125 90 degrees in Texas is a a cold day Um, (laughs) guess what it is if it's hundred degrees outside which is pretty much what it would have been every day that I was working guess what what the temperature inside an attic is like 150 to 170 so yeah so he says I'll see you at the end of the day. Here you go. So I've got my dustpan, my little brush and my trash can. And we'll just say the ventilation is not great and it was like a two-story house. And so the attic, you know, on a two-story house is really pretty short. It's not like a big one you can walk around in. So I'm on my hands and knees just crawling through, you know, trying not to fall through the roof of this thing uh, or the, through the ceiling and just, you know, in each between each stud just you know, and then have to crawl back to the trash can, dump it. It was an uh, intensive process, okay? Um, So every time I would fill up that trash can, I got to leave the attic, and I'd go and dump that, you know, insulation into the dumpster, and I could just wring my shirt out every time I would do that, and then, you know, work my way back up in there. So it took me a couple of days, you know, just army crawling through all that stuff. I've got fiberglass cuts everywhere, Um, and uh, so he, you know, finally done he shows up and he's like great job here here's some cash and he paid me below minimum wage I think he paid me four dollars an hour for this job by the way Um, and here's the kicker so he says as you guys are probably already thinking through this in your head says hey you know it's really best if you not tell anybody uh, that you did this Um, there's this stuff called asbestos and it really you're not supposed to put it in the dumpster And you know not supposed to be anyway I found out a whole lot afterwards but anyway so I think about that story now and I'm telling you uh, some sort of EPA violation I'm sure but anyway and I think you couldn't pay me enough to do that job today right I mean if somebody said hey I'll pay you a hundred bucks an hour I'd probably say yeah I'm gonna pass on this one I just don't think this is I'm gonna do this have you ever had a job where you say, you couldn't pay me enough money to do that job? You couldn't pay me enough to do this? Well, this morning, we get to, we're going to see a job, uh, and, and not a jo- just a job, but a job description. And it's, it's the kind of job that most people wouldn't be willing to do, no matter how much the pay is. The, the, the job of a shepherd is, is difficult and dangerous. And so we could ask the question, who would volunteer for a job like this? And that's our question for this morning. So let's pray together. Father, would you lead us and guide us through your word this morning? Would you open our hearts and our ears to your truth, to what it says about you, to what it says about your son, Jesus? God, use me Not to speak my own words, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in John chapter 10. This morning we're going to read verses 11 through 18. John chapter 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. so this is our fourth week on our series of these special statements the 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 I am statements made by Jesus in the book of John Jesus has seven formal I am statements he has already called himself the bread of life and the light of the world and last week he said I am the door I'm the door and all these seven statements are special because the language used was intentional to declare himself God. He, he said it in such a way that he called himself the great I am. The I am that I am the good shepherd is what he's going to say to us this morning. He is the good shepherd. And so I just need to remind you uh, as we talked uh, about last week that, that this passage is related to the chapter before, which is chapter 9. And, and chapter 9, as we saw, was a, about a, a blind man who was healed by Jesus. And, and the Pharisees went and they were, they were suspicious of this guy and they kept asking him questions. And, and finally they'd had enough and they just kicked this man out of the, of the temple. They kicked him out basically of the faith because he testified that Jesus was from God. He must be a prophet of God because of, of what he did. And so Jesus is going to kind of focus on this. He's there. He sees all this happen. And um, he's going he's to use this as an opportunity to, to talk to the people with the Pharisees standing there. There's a contrast between a shepherd and, and thieves and robbers. And he's going he's to call the, the, the Pharisees thieves and robbers. And he says there's a difference between who is the true shepherd and those who are counterfeits. He says the Pharisees were leading people astray and, in fact, leading them to their deaths. The the, the Pharisees have brought death instead of life. And and he said last week, he says, I've come that they may have eternal life and even more, right? Beyond eternal life, we talked about a quality, a, a better life than what you should have without Jesus. He says... I have come to be the shepherd of the people and they will hear my voice. So he, he, he's using this language, uh, uh, counterfeiting what a true shepherd should look like, and, and he's gonna go beyond that this, this morning. And so if you, if you remember what we just read, you know that Jesus calling himself the shepherd is a big deal Right, on top of the language that he just used where he called himself the great I am, right? the I am that I am, oh by the way the good shepherd, to refer to himself as shepherd of the people of Israel has God written all over it. This isn't the kind of language that anybody should be using unless they're gone. The most famous passage probably in all of the Bible we just read a few minutes ago, how does it start? The Lord is my, right, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is intentionally tapping into this kind of language in what he says. And, And there are several places throughout the Old Testament where we see this kind of shepherding language. There's an amazing one from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11. It says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And and we just heard that idea in the last hymn we sang, right? This gentle leading of the shepherd. So Jesus is making it very, very clear that he is God, that he is a divine authority, and, and he has the power to be our shepherd. And so I want to focus on this this job of shepherd for just a couple of minutes. Remember, I I said it's a tough job description. So so let's just just look at it again. First, he says that the role of being the good shepherd is that he lays down his life for the sheep. If you remember when we started this, I said the the seven I am statements of Jesus, they're really him coming to tell us Uh, what he is doing. Why did Jesus come? If you just knew the seven great I am statements, you kind of know enough to know what Jesus did and who who he is. I'm going to mention just a couple of things about this maybe job description, this first part of the job description, which is laying the life down for the sheep, why that job description is so significant. And so first, I'll just say it tells us that the cross is the biggest theme uh, of, of, of Jesus' mission, of, of, of the idea of even Christianity at all. It makes the cross this central focus thing here. Right? He didn't come primarily to be a good guy. He didn't come primarily to be an example. He didn't come to inspire us. He came to die for us. That was his main mission. That was the main role. That's what makes him the good shepherd is that he says, I came to die for you. The next thing I'll just say is it it tells us that this is a voluntary job. He chose to do this, right? He, He was not forced. He was not caught. He was not coerced. He was not trapped. He signed up. He decided to lay his life down for his sheep. And so, again, that kind of follows, right? We're working together. Well, So thus, he lays his life down for the sheep. For there is a big, big piece, right? He does it for the sheep. And, and we call this vicarious uh, or substitutionary atonement. We've, we've talked about this before. Meaning, his death is was for our life. He died for us. We deserved to die, and He took that punishment on for us. Instead of us getting it, He did. He died in our place. And the next one, again, you're going to go, well, that's pretty obvious, but, but that is it was planned. This, this didn't just happen. Oh, here I am. Yeah, I guess I'll take the cross. No, he he knew this from the very, very beginning, and he he gives clues throughout the Gospels. If, if you've been reading through the, the Gospels, you know he's hinting at it all the way through. His disciples didn't get it, but he's been hinting and hinting. And here he is again. I'm gonna lay down my life for the sheep. It was planned. And so there's one more implication based on this idea that I lay down my life for the sheep, but we're going we're to save it for just a, in, in just a few minutes. So, so hang on to that. We'll, we'll, we'll come back around. I, I want to talk about the second piece of the job description of being the good shepherd. We see it in verse 16. It says this. It says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so we find out that there's gonna be one flock and one shepherd one flock one shepherd so so this part of the job description is is, is really interesting and that is he's gonna bring all the sheep together gonna to bring them all together now if you watch too much uh, cable TV especially the history channel you may have heard something about this being a reference to aliens there are some people who think, see, there's, there's life on other planets, and that's what he's talking about. Jesus is, you know, just an alien, and he's, he, no, that's not what this is about. Uh, if, you, if you ask a different religion, they will say that this is a reference to Jesus coming to South America and living among a tribe of Indians there. Uh, and there was a second testament of Jesus Christ of his time lived among the South Americans. But that's not what Jesus is referring to either. Remember, Jesus is talking to Jews here in this moment, and his reference to other sheep is to Gentiles. To Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. And so for me, it is comforting to hear the certainty of Jesus when he says that he already has sheep in a different fold. He already has them That means something big. That's pretty significant in terms of God's plans and what he's doing with his people. Jesus in his sovereignty had sheep that were not of Jewish heritage, which is great news for me because I am not of Jewish heritage, at least as far as I know. Probably for most of you, I don't know how many of you have any Jewish descendancy. Most of us are probably Gentiles, meaning we came from somebody else besides God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. He's expanding what it means to be the people of God here. Very big, very big thing. And so he says, I've got sheep already of another fold, and I'm going to bring them in as well. What's awesome is that we know that the church, several times throughout the New Testament, is called the Bride of Christ. Jesus, in his last prayer, right, as he's praying in the garden, he prays about unity for his people. That's what's on his mind in his last hours on this earth, is that they would be one. His people would be one. Jesus cares about the unity that all of his sheep will be together in one flock. And so let me just quickly say this, that the only hope for unity among mankind... It isn't a Coke commercial. You guys got that. Some of you got that. Uh, The only hope for unity is Jesus. It's not not some political organization. It's Jesus. Only in Christ is there hope to overcome the divisions of race and class and nationality, even denominations. And our union of love under the banner of Jesus is, is the, the greatest blessing that believers can now enjoy. This idea that we've all been made one. We have unity among the believers. I don't know if, if, if this has been true for you, but I've had the privilege of worshiping with believers from different backgrounds and denominations, and even in five different countries. And I can tell you it, there's nothing more amazing than worshiping, than sharing in the joy and love of Jesus with his bride around the world. Different languages, different music types, all kinds of things. One big theme, and that is Jesus. Only Jesus can bring that kind of unity, nothing else. Not the UN, not NATO, not what forget all of that. It's only Jesus that brings that kind of unity. So, we've got a tough job description here. Laying life down for the sheep and gathering sheep from all over into one. That's a a tough job description. And no one else can do it. No one else can do it. It is too hard and it costs too much. Right, you couldn't pay someone enough money to lay their lives down for a bunch of stupid sheep. You couldn't pay him enough money to do it. Would you be willing to do that? Only the the true shepherd. Which is why, just as an aside, don't follow a pastor. They're not the true shepherd. Hopefully they love you. Hopefully in all of that. But there's only one true shepherd. Don't follow a personality. Don't follow a person. They're going to let you down. They can't do this job description. Only Jesus can. Okay, so I told you just a couple minutes ago that there was one more implication when Jesus says that he lays his life down for his sheep. And so to, to tell you what that is, I have to kind of start with, a, with a, another language lesson, and this one's in Greek this morning. Remember, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Now, in Greek, Jesus has a couple of different words uh, that he could have used. The, the normal Greek word for good is, is, a, is a word called agathos, agathos. And it's common. It's a common word. For instance, when you smell the milk after the inspira- uh, sorry, expiration date, and you sit and wonder, and you, there's a question in your mind, and, it, and it, the question is, is this milk still Good, right? Maybe that's what you say. I think that's what you say. Is this milk still good? Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely not still good, right? Or, oh, yeah, I think it still might be good. Or like when you say about, you know, folks, when you're talking about a family, oh, they're good people, right? That's a Midwestern statement, right? They're good people. That's agathos. That's what we're talking about, right? Good. But Jesus didn't use that word, good, like that. He used a different one called kalos, kalos. And, and I'll just say it's a little more impressive. It's a little more of impressive of a word. It's harder to use about milk or people. Some people will just translate it to the highest level. So maybe something like Excellent. But there, there's, there's another word that's associated with it that gets translated a lot. And I think it's, I think it's useful here. And some will actually use it in their, in their English translations. And that is the word beautiful. Jesus is making a major statement about himself. He is God. He is our shepherd. But more than that, he is the excellent shepherd. He is the beautiful shepherd because when you see all that he does all you can think of is there's beauty in that that's that's beautiful what he has come to do i I can't help but call him anything else thinking about the implications of of a shepherd who is willing to lay his life down for a dumb sheep like me i want you to hear romans chapter 5 Verse 8. It's a verse you need to know. It's a verse you need to remember. So if you're a note taker, just write down Romans 5, 8. It says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is this final, beautiful implication of Jesus, the good shepherd, laying his life down for his sheep? It's love. And you probably saw it coming. You probably called it. It's love. And I'll just say, some people are really uncomfortable with this idea. One, love is a weird word, right? And I don't want you to think romantic songs on the radio, Okay. Because Jesus is way bigger than that stuff. But so some people when talk about Jesus loving me, they start thinking about hippies and weird music. And we're, we're way beyond that in terms of a person who's willing to lay down their life for another, especially one who didn't deserve it. Okay, there's no other word to define that but love. But, but some of us are uncomfortable with it for another reason. We, we struggle with this idea that Jesus loves us. So, you know, I'm not gonna, but if I asked you to, to say it out loud, something like this, I know deep down that Jesus loves me. I know deep down that Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves me so much that he died for me. Right, if I asked you to say that out loud, it would be a hard thing for many of us to do. And so, I, just from personal experience, I'll say it's a whole lot easier for me to say something like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, yada, 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 right? I, that's an easier thing for me to, to think about. Big idea, Jesus died. Because it's a whole lot harder for me to go, Jesus died for me because he loves me. That is a really hard thing for me to say. And I think it's true for a lot of us. And and the reason I think that is, is because you and I have an enemy who loves to whisper in our ear. He could never really love you. Remember that stuff that you have done? You'll never get past all of that. That's with you forever. He'll never love you because of that. He's so disappointed in you. You'll never be good enough. You should stay away from Jesus because he, t- he can't love you. He hates you. He's so disappointed in you. That's the voice of our enemy. It's not the voice of the good shepherd. That's not his voice. And, and I, I love theology. Right? I, I studied it a whole lot. I really, I really enjoy the theology, but we have to get beyond it sometimes, I think, to think about this kind of stuff what it actually means. Right? We we, we can hear all this truth and never bring it inside of us. Jesus isn't just a good man. He isn't just, uh, you know, uh, a, a great example. He's a beautiful Savior. And you were dying. You were dead. You had no hope. But He loves you. And because He loves you, He brought you back to life. He died for you and He brought you back to life. And because He loves you, He leads you to green pastures and to still waters and He walks with you and He restores your soul. He protects us and He comforts us and all the other parts of of that beautiful psalm that we've come to know and love. But if we don't spend any time coming to grips with the the big idea of all of this, then it it just can become words. It just can lose the significance for us. Why is Jesus our shepherd? Why did he come? Why did he die? Why does he continue to lead us? Why does he promise that he'll never leave us and say that he'll stay with us forever? Why does he say he'll never let us leave his fold, that he's the door he will prevent us from leaving? No, no one can take us from him. Why does he say all that? It's love. So, so here, here's the deal. Here's where it boils down. My two cents of all this are this. I think that most of us play around with church and religion, and we, we just don't really get it. Maybe we get that Jesus is good and Maybe we get that He can lead us, and, and, and we struggle because most of us don't really want to be led, but we battle with Him leading us all the time. Just like sheep, we'd rather stumble around on our own. And maybe we get to a place where we understand that we need grace and forgiveness, and we get all of that. But I think, I think deep down, the real problem is, is that we discount this root truth of love. We don't get it. It's it's the heart of the gospel. There's an amazing quote from a guy named Tim Keller. I know some of you like him and know who he is. He's a a pastor, amazing author. And somebody asked him one time, "What, what is the gospel? He said, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe Yet at the same time, the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. When we realize that we are the beloved of Christ, it all changes. Everything changes. If the world could stop and understand this beautiful gospel, this beautiful gospel of love... There wouldn't be an empty seat in any church in the world if we understood this love of Christ. I want you to hear it one more time. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, as we see the work of Jesus, we see this job description that no one else would would dare do, that you couldn't pay anyone enough money to do, we just have to ask the question why? Why would Jesus take on such a job? Because he, He loves us. Father, too often I have to confess, I don't listen to the voice of my shepherd, I listen to the voice of the world around me who says try to earn something, try to be something, try to prove yourself. And and other voices who try to tell me you should be ashamed because you'll never be enough. God could never truly love you. Jesus could never truly love a person who's done what you've done. Jesus is just disappointed in you your failure. Father, would you help us to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd? That he loves us and he lays his life down for us. And he leads us and protects us and he holds onto us so tight that he could never let us go. Nothing could ever, ever take us from the love of Jesus. God, let us live in that truth. Let it make all the difference. In Jesus' name I ask all this. Amen.